questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. In the last 20 years or so, scientists have discovered some remarkable new facts about the human brain and mind. The first is that the brain is continually changing and growing new connections. Even more remarkably, these new connections can be influenced simply by thinking in a certain way. In other words, you can change your own brain just by learning to think differently. This has profound implications for changing your life and changing your personality. The second is that psychologists at Harvard and other universities have recently discovered that the mind actually operates as a kind of time machine, processing information from the future as well as the past. You have a future memory, which gives you access to the future in the same way that memory gives you access to the past. This is a truly astonishing discovery. It means that when you decide to change your life in any way, you can get information from this new future, which will show you what to do to make this new future a physical reality in your present life. Greetings. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at VeritasRadio.com. And to tell us more and to offer techniques for using these new discoveries to create a new life for yourself, tonight's special guest is Anthony Hamilton, a former professor of communication at Capilano University in North Vancouver, Canada. He is the best-selling co-author with Brian Tracy of Cracking the Success Code and the creator of The Inner Game of Success, a training program used by some of the most successful companies in Canada and the U.S. He was recently recognized as one of America's premier experts for his excellence in writing and teaching. At the age of 10, he had what is normally called a precognitive dream in which he saw his future in advance. He spent 20 years researching this experience to discover how it could be possible to experience what is supposed to be impossible. Eventually, he formulated his theory of consciousness, which explains that everyone has this ability, but few actually develop it to any degree. And to tell us how this works, the author of Mind, Time and Power, how to use the hidden power of your mind to heal your past, transform your present, and create your future, Professor Anthony Hamilton joins us today from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Hello, Professor Hamilton, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. Thanks very much. A pleasure to see you today or talk to you. It's my pleasure. May I call you Anthony? Yes, please do, Mel. Excellent. Well, first of all, your story. You had a precognitive dream at the age of 10, which I think changed your life, didn't it? Tell us about that. Absolutely. That was easily uh, the most pivotal experience of my entire life. And um, it took me about 20 years to understand it and have some kind of rational explanation of how it might happen. So briefly, what happened was um, I was playing with some friends of mine and uh, we were climbing a tree, swinging from this tree, and I fell out of the tree and kind of knocked myself out for a minute or two. And while I was unconscious, I felt as though I were hovering above my body, like I was in a helicopter or something like that. And I could see myself at about the age of 32. And I felt that this was a true glimpse of my future. Like it wasn't just a, ooh, that was an interesting dream. You know, I felt right from it was an actual glimpse of my future so that I knew what I was going to be doing. And I knew that I was going to be uh, writing. I was going to be teaching. I was going to be traveling. I was going to be a university professor. And I was going to be helping people live more successful and happier lives. So that was this dream. And um, I don't know whether it lasted 30 seconds or two or three minutes, but it was it was very vivid. You know, in Asia, they have this idea of enlightenment. They say enlightenment is like a flash of lightning on a dark night. You know, you're looking outside, everything's black, you can't see anything. And all of a sudden, there's a lightning flash and boom, you can just see everything clearly for a moment. Well, it was it was an experience kind of like that. And so I was so intrigued by this experience that I started to do 
two lines of research. And even at, at the age of about 12, when I started, I really felt that I was like a research scientist, you know, trying to find the answer to how this could happen. Because I had felt and still do feel that what I had was a, a true experience of, of getting information from my future in advance. So the first line of research that I started was to try and find some logical, reasonable explanation to how it's possible to get information from the future. Because this is what I thought had happened to me. And the second line of research was what are the principles of success? Because if I'm going to be teaching people about success, I thought, I should uh, I should study all, the, all these principles and find out what you have to do to be successful. So it took altogether, it took about 20 years for me to get the answer that I was looking for. And um, what happened was because I had seen myself as a professor and teacher and writer, I had thought, of course, I assumed that my life was going to be easy and I was going to be a, you know, easily successful person. Well, my life was anything but that. Um, when I was finishing high school, I, I had a bit of a bad attitude. I got in a fight with a few of the teachers and I just, you know, I barely scraped out of high school with a passing grade, but not enough marks to go to university. So immediately that kind of sent me into sort of a tailspin because I thought, well, how can I achieve this life that I want to achieve or this life that I saw if I, if I can't go to university? So all through my late teens, early 20s and mid 20s, I just became more and more frustrated, more and more angry, more and more depressed. You know, I ended up becoming uh about 50 pounds overweight. I was dabbling in drugs and drinking too much and smoking too much. My relationship, my um, relationships were a complete disaster, as you might imagine. And um, so finally, what happened was when I was about 29, I saw this advertisement for a course in mind power. And so I thought, this is for me, you know, I need to figure out how I can use the power of my mind to get myself out of this tailspin that I'm in. So I took this course, and during the course, I studied metaphysics. I studied the law of attraction. I learned about the power of thought, the power of the mind. And most importantly, I started meditating. This was a big part of this course that I was in. There were 26 weeks of meditation and you were supposed to do these very specific meditations 20 minutes every day for six months and I thought you know I'm not going to miss a day I don't care what anybody else gets out of this course I'm going to make this course work for me because I need it to work you know Anthony Robbins who's a well-known motivator and um, success trainer he says if you want to change your life you either need inspiration or frustration, and frustration is way more powerful. So, and I was frustrated. So I was desperate. So uh, I started doing these meditations, and after about six months of doing these meditations, you know, my life started to change. I I started to calm down. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking, and I started to become aware of my inner my inner self. And um, one day I was thinking about my life, and I realized that I couldn't remember anything about my younger life, you know, before about the age of 15 or something like that. And so all that I knew was that my life was negative and was full of struggle and frustration and anger. And I thought to myself, you know, this is illogical. I must have had some positive experiences as a child, but I just can't remember any. So I thought, well, I'm doing this meditation exercise anyway, so what I'll what I'll do is, is I'll try and remember some positive experiences. So I remember it took me three or four days, but after about three or four days, I suddenly remembered during this meditation exercise that I used to like playing baseball. So I thought, well, that was positive. You know, thinking about playing baseball with my friends, that was a good experience. So the next day, I went back to the baseball game, got into the feeling of feeling happy and feeling successful and feeling good with my friends. And I thought, I'll try and remember more and more about this baseball game. So 
in my mind, I went back there and I slowly remembered my friends' names. I remembered their parents' names. I remembered some of their addresses, their pets, you know, their dogs. And I remember some of their phone numbers. And I remember that it took about two months. But over a period of about two months, I remembered more and more and more about this summer when I was 10 years old and I was playing baseball with my friends. And one day I remembered, here I am, I'm sitting on the beach in Vancouver, B.C. I'm doing my daily meditation exercise. I'm sitting there with my eyes closed. And I remembered that one day after one of these baseball games... Myself and a group of friends went up and we were climbing in this tree and I fell out of this tree and I had this dream. And here I am sitting on the beach in Vancouver. It's I'm now 32 years old and I woke up out of this meditation and it was like a whack on the side of the head. And I suddenly realized that's it. That's the answer that I've been looking for now for 20 years, because I had always thought that memory was a recording. This is what I had thought growing up. You know, people say, well, everything that you've ever experienced in your life is recorded in your mind, and your mind is kind of like a computer. You can go back and you can replay these memories. Well, what I realized in that moment was that memory is not a recording. It's a connection. That here I was, 32, connecting to my 10-year-old. And I thought, you know, any connection, the same as this phone connection or the Skype connection that we're on now, it has to go both ways. You know, the information can go both ways. So if I can gather information from the 10-year-old, the 10-year-old must have access to information from the 32-year-old. So realizing that memory was a connection, finally I had what I thought was a logical, reasonable explanation for how it's possible for someone who's 10 years old to get a valid glimpse of their future because they were connected. And because I had spent two months every day, you know, 20 minutes building and rebuilding this memory connection, it made sense to me logically that, you know, my unconscious mind somehow was connected to the future. So I thought that's it, you know, memory is a connection and that's why it's possible to get information from the future. And I realized after I thought about it for a day or two that that also answered my second question, because the second question that I was looking for, as you remember, was how does it, you know, what do you have to do to be successful? Like, what are the principles of success? But before you answer the second question, if I may just dissect this a little bit, because this is very sure. interesting. When we think of, of our memory or tapping into our, our memory, say, when I was 10 years old, is it because we think in a linear fashion and we think well, we have to go back because we have already experienced it. We can never think of connecting to the future because it hasn't happened yet. So it's very difficult to grasp that concept. Well, it is It is difficult to grasp. And as I say, I spent 20 years trying to figure this out, you know, and it was a long, gradual process of reading and studying and thinking and, and trying to figure out time and the mind and how they worked. And so one of the one of the places I finally ended up reading was the work of Albert Einstein, because, of course, he talked about time and space. And he said, you know, there is no time and there is no space. There's really space time and the laws of time and the laws of space mirror each other. It's they're, they're the same laws. So I thought, well, that makes sense, you know, because at that point. Uh, we had satellites traveling around the Earth, you know, and they were sending information back to us. And I thought if it's possible for information to travel from a place like Mars, you know, back to Earth, and the information travels through space, using the same kind of model, it must be possible for information to travel from the past into the future or into the present, in this case. And that's what we call memory. And so I thought, well, the same thing must be true of the future. So studying all all the principles of success that I had been reading all these, you know, self-help books for years, looking for clues, I realized, you know, if you ask anybody what what the principles of success are, they say, you know, things like perseverance and enthusiasm and goals and uh, vivid imagination and ambition and perseverance and action. But I realized if there's only one most important goal 
or, or most important principle of success, it's got to be a goal. Without a goal, you can't be successful because by definition, success is the achievement of your goals. Right. So I thought, where, where's, where's the goal? It's in the future. So I thought that's it, you know, meditating on your goals, thinking about your goals over and over and over again, you start to become connected to that future time when you've achieved your goal. And that information from the future comes into your mind and your goals will actually teach you or tell you what you need to do to get there. This is so, so fascinating this- because... And again, I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. myself, but just to illustrate the point, almost 10 years ago, before the the conception of this radio program, I had no broadcasting experience. I didn't have any journalism experience, never had a microphone to, to, to broadcast anywhere. But something happened. It was a dream also. And it right. basically said, you know, this is where you're going to be doing take action. The words from Anthony Robbins that I always kept to me, to myself for many years ago, take action, right? So I imagine myself with a microphone and having people listen. I imagine the people sitting down with their coffee in front of a fireplace or whatever, listening to what I had to say. And it's almost like the Native Americans when they do their rain dance. They're not asking for rain. They actually pretend that it's raining already and they feel the water touching their skin all of a sudden. I don't know how it happens, but the universe materializes that event. In my case, it materialized this radio program. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's exactly right. And the funny thing is, you know, when I say to people, uh, you know, you have access to the future the same as you have access to the past. And whatever you call memory in your mind gives you information from the future, the same as memory gives you information the, from the from the past. You know, people go, well, what is that all about? And I say, have you ever achieved a goal? And they say yes. And they tell a very similar story that you just told. So everybody recognizes when I tell my story, everybody says, hey, you know, that makes perfect sense. That thing happened to me, too, you know. And uh, if you if you think about it, like I have a niece. She got married a few years ago and she knew at least a year in advance where she was going to be married, when she was going to be married, who was going to be there, what kind of dresses the bridesmaids were going to wear, what food they were going to serve, what music they were going to play. So she created this future scenario in her mind months and months in advance and then just simply took action step by step, created this event. So, you know, the biggest day of her life, of course, like every every young bride, was when she got married and she set this thing up months and months in advance. And that's what every successful person does. You know, from your book, let me quote this. You say, I have always believed each of us was born with the power to realize our dreams. As a child, whenever I read about someone who achieved something important, I would think to myself, I could do that too, if I really tried. However, over time, I found that when I really did try to achieve my goals, as often as not my efforts resulted in disappointment and frustration, unquote. And this happens to a lot of people. Is it because our expectations are too high? What's the missing link here? Well, it's, um, well, there's several missing links. You know, um, some of the research that I've done indicates that only about 3% of the population are really goal setters, you know, people that make a habit and really decide what it is they want in their life one year, three years, five years, maybe 10 years ahead, like my niece did when she was getting married, you know. But there are certain people that do do that religiously, if I can use that word, you know. And these are business people, politicians, athletes, you know. Um, People like Tiger Woods, I mean, he knew he was going to be a golf champion when he was three or four years old, and he worked towards it all that time. Uh, Michael Jordan, same thing. He said that he decided or he knew when he was 10 years old that he was going to be a professional basketball player in the NBA. And even though he didn't make the high school basketball team and he was kicked off the uh, college basketball team in the first year, 
he believed so so strongly in that vision that he persevered and he practiced and he outworked everybody. And eventually he made that dream a reality. And I think that that's what we can all do when we start to realize the power that we have in our minds and in our imagination. Well, our brain is like a muscle. I don't know if you've heard the story that came out a few weeks ago of this uh, these two young scientists, I think in Silicon Valley, they have a company that is that their venture is to transfer your, 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 for example, let's say you are a fighter pilot, right? Or a, or a uh, famous pianist, mm-hmm. musician. They connect you to these electrodes. They basically download, I don't know exactly what they download. And they bring somebody else who's just never fallen a plane, just never played the piano, but they transferred that to them. And they have proven that it's not that the moment you transfer the knowledge, they start, you know, you know f- uh, flying a plane, but they start learning immediately, almost as if the connections are there to absorb the knowledge. Or the person who has never played a piano, all of a sudden starts reading music and starts saying, oh, this is so easy for me now. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, but I would love to read it. It sounds really exciting. Now, so this, so this thing that I'm talking about and that we're both talking about is, is basically a product of thinking. Uh, it's a product of our consciousness, right? And so thinking, of course, is a very wide-ranging subject. I mean, nobody really knows what thinking is. But it's obvious that certain people have a gift for, you know, for example, for music. I mean, I was watching uh, a show the other day on the Knowledge Network about some young Japanese guy. Now he's, now he's an adult and he's a world-famous pianist. But when he was about three years old, he started playing the piano all by himself. How you is know? that possible? Exactly. Nobody taught him. He just started playing, you know. <clears throat> so it's obvious that people do have some kind of inborn talents or gifts. But it's also possible that people like you and me, if we, if we try we can develop at least a certain degree of ability with the piano if we just take some lessons and practice and practice and practice over time, we can get pretty good at it. And I think it's the same thing with this imagination. You know, this experience that I had when I was 10, I think was, you know, fairly unusual, but um, certainly everybody can learn to use their ability to set goals and visualize and imagine. And if they do it the same as Olympic athletes do, they will become a champion in their own life. But like I say, 97% of the population don't do it because they've never been shown how. And because I think because they don't have the... um, the framework, you know, the intellectual framework or the understanding of time and space and the mind to allow them to really get into the practice of this future memory, as they call it now. Ever since I was able to to accomplish this, you know, the radio program, I put this into action many, many times now, where before I didn't think it was possible to just quiet your mind, meditate, and imagine yourself already having accomplished your goal. And then yes. work your way from, in other words, you're, you're at A, and that's Z over there. Well, imagine Z is a completed product. You envision it, and I believe Nikola Tesla, you probably know who he was, Nikola yes. Tesla, that is exactly how his mind worked. He had these thoughts that came to mind, and then all he had to do is go from A to Z, because Z was already there in his mind. He just needed to materialize it. Materialize exactly. It. Exactly. Well, he was obviously a a very special person. But, uh, you know, there's stories like that that are bound with all kinds of people. I mean, Edison was the same. He used to, he he had a special room in, in his laboratory, from what I understand, that had a metal floor in it. And he used to sit down every day and, and try and fall asleep in his chair. And he used to hold a couple of ball bearings in his hand because he knew that when he fell asleep, the ball bearings would drop onto the floor and make a noise and wake him up. And that was his way of getting, you know, tapping into that level of consciousness that exists just between waking and sleeping. So there's more and more stories of people using these kinds of techniques that they've either learned spontaneously. And now, of course, with some of the sports psychologists around, people are learning how to use these techniques to enhance their, their talents and their gifts and achieve their goals. You know, Edison, speaking of Tesla, Edison took credit for a lot of Tesla's inventions. 
And Einstein, when asked, how does it feel to be the smartest person alive? Einstein responded, well, I don't know. You, you have to ask Tesla about that. Talk to Tesla. Yeah, that's Talk right. Talk to Tesla. Well, <laughs> exactly. Well, as often happens in a case like that, you know, Tesla has all the has all the genius, but Edison, he had the business acumen. He was the one that was able right. to get funding and build the business, you know, and that's often the case that the people that make the actual breakthroughs initially don't really capitalize on it. You know, somebody else takes the idea and runs with it and and earns all the accolades and perhaps all the money, you know. Exactly. Now you say our mind, and I think I know now about what you have said, our mind is a time machine. How so? Yes, that's right. Well, whatever thinking is, it's time traveling, you know. Um, there's a term for what I'm talking about, and it's daydreaming. In other words, if anybody, you or I, or any of our audience at the moment, just simply close their eyes, you know, if we stop talking right now, pretty quickly, within a few seconds, their mind would start to wander. It would be, it would be, it would be thinking about what they're going to do on the weekend. Or don't, don't do that what, if you're driving, folks. Exactly. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do this if you're driving right now. But um, so the mind has this way of kind of wandering around in time. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? You know, what if that were to take place? What if I had done this in the past? You know, so this kind of what if thinking is so natural to our minds that we basically don't notice it. You know, everybody daydreams. But when you learn to control the dreaming, when you learn to control the focus of your attention, that's when the magic starts to happen. In your book, the title, Mind, Time, Connection. Explain that mind, again. Yeah. yeah, mind, time, and power. Well, the connection, of course, is that uh, thinking is a connection. So just like this telephone call that we're making now or this uh, Skype call, <clears throat> You know, uh, you could have called anybody in North America today using the same thing, and it just so happens that it's you and me talking because, you know, we set this up. But in the, in the same way, I can imagine anything, and you can imagine anything in your imagination. You know, like if you, if you imagine, for example, um, going home and, uh, you know, standing outside the front door of your, of your home, Anybody can do this. You know, we've done it lots of times. It's quite easy to conjure up a picture or a memory, you might call it, of us, you know, standing outside the door just about to put the key in the lock and go in. Well, if we imagine that a big dog suddenly runs around the corner and knocks us down, we can do that, too. And yet that's never happened to us. So the difference between imagining something that has happened and something that hasn't happened or imagining something that we want to happen, like getting married or getting a new job or starting a business and something that may never happen. You know, uh, the distance comes, the uh, difference comes down to, are you able to control the focus of your inner awareness? This is what I talk about in my book. You know, the power comes from your ability or inability to control your attention, your inner attention. And most people simply can't do it because they haven't practiced it. Remember that I said the, the thing that turned it around for me was when I took this meditation course and I spent six months, 20 minutes every day practicing meditation and practicing visualization. And this was the muscle, if you want to call it that, that I exercised over time. And after six months, it, it got pretty good. You know, now I can really visualize things. And most business people can. And most, most athletes can. But it's because they practiced. Do you think uh, business people or athletes, take an athlete, for example, they're preparing for the triathlon or the Ironman or whatever. Right. Do you think that by thinking about their exercises and, and their body shape and everything. Do you think that their body is shaped to what the mind is thinking? For example, if you need to run 50 miles or what have you, thinking and thinking and thinking about that, that helps achieve the goal. Oh, absolutely. You know, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was in the bodybuilding business, he said that people think he built his muscles with weights. 
But he said, I actually built the muscles with my mind because when I was lifting the weights, I wasn't lifting any heavier weights than the person next to me in the gym. But I got better results because when I was exercising, if I was doing a bicep exercise, for example, I would put my attention and my focus of my mind into the bicep and tell the bicep to grow. And he said, that's why he said, that's why I get better results than other people, because I focused my mind on it. Interesting. I think the same applies with diets. If you have somebody yes. who thinks, I'll never lose weight, I'll never lose weight, it doesn't matter how many diets they get into, they know they don't lose weight. But those who think, I imagine my flat belly, I imagine myself looking healthy, and all of a sudden you start shedding, shedding pounds. Right, right. Well, that, that quote that you read from my book, um, I think it's on page one of the book, but um, – at any rate, what I, what I talk in there about is um, the difference is being able to consciously be aware of the decisions that you're making. And that's, that's where the power comes in. So the, so the book talks about mind, talks about time. There's a new model of time in there. And the power is learning how to focus the attention, focus your inner awareness, as I call it. Keep it in one place, you know, to keep on thinking about the same goal, the same idea over and over and over and over again. And it's kind of a magical thing, you know, but um, a little bit of thinking doesn't seem to have much effect. So I'm, I mean, here I am now drinking a cup of coffee. You know, I drink coffee on a regular basis. I'm not building any muscles by lifting this coffee cup to my mouth. Because I have enough muscles already to do that. So it's not really exercising my, my bicep to lift this coffee cup. So there's really not much of an effect from doing that. But if I did virtually the same exercise, but I used a heavier weight, and I slowly over time increased the weight so that I was forcing the muscle to do something that it wasn't used to doing, what would happen is the muscle would grow. It would bring more muscle fibers into play. And this is exactly what they've discovered now that they're calling neuroplasticity. You know, right. that, that by doing certain kinds of brain exercises, you actually can force the, the neurons in the brain to develop. And things that used to be difficult become easier and easier over time because you're using more and more of your uh, brain power to it. So the key is the same. It's like doing something that's a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit unusual. And by doing it, forcing yourself to do it in the beginning, whether it's visualizing or running or walking or pushing yourself away, <laughs> pushing yourself away from the table. Somebody told me the most important exercise for losing weight is pushing yourself away from the table. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's doing something that in a sense is difficult or unusual or maybe even stressful until it becomes easier and easier. That's, that's the key. There's that saying, you manifest the thoughts that you entertain. And what you're saying just gives a new meaning to all of this because I know it is unfortunate, but a lot of people, it happens to most of us, sometimes we get these negative thoughts in our minds, almost like you have a, a free tenant living in your, in your brain, just a victim. But a lot of people spend their time in negative thoughts. Or if they have a goal, they don't think they're capable of, of achieving it. And on you know the, our motto on this show is we don't want to believe we want to know. However, I yes. also think that there's a lot of power in belief. If you don't believe you can accomplish something, you will not accomplish it. Period. Well, that's true. And the thing is, if you if if you don't believe it's possible, then of course you won't try. You know, right? If you if if you think that you don't have any ability to. Um, to play the piano, you know, you sit down, you take a few lessons, you try for a week or two and you say, ah, you see, you know, I've proven it to myself. No, you're not necessarily consciously saying this, but unconsciously you're sort of going, you see, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it and I just proved it to myself. I can't do it. But if you, if you persevered, if you had the attitude that you could improve, if you just practiced and kept practicing, then Slowly, 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 depending on your ability, you would get better and better and better. And your belief 
would also grow. Your belief in your ability to do what you want to do would grow. So a lot of people in the uh, motivation and the self-help business, they talk about taking baby steps. And I agree. You know, that's really one of the keys. It's like if you have a plan, like you said, when you first saw yourself becoming a broadcaster, you know, you start taking baby steps. You know, you get a microphone, you get a recording uh, and you just practice. You know, you start talking to people and slowly over time you make these connections. So it's 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 taking action. It's having a plan. It's having a goal and it's taking baby steps one foot after the other after the other eventually you get there. Now, going back to that thought of accessing the future, how is it, po again, how is it possible to get information from the future if the future hasn't happened yet? If there's actually an ether or an Akashic record or a universal worldwide web, how do we really access it and where is it? Well, I'll tell you something. It took me a long time to come up with an analogy or a model to be able to explain this, but I can do it now pretty simply. Einstein said that the laws of time and the laws of space are the same because there is no time, there is no space, there's just space time, right? So if you think about doing something that you do every day, which is driving across town in your car, you know? Let's say you leave the house in the morning and your wife says to you, oh, uh, you know, we're out of rice, can you pick up some rice? Uh, on the way home, you know, from work. So you say, sure. So you might have an idea in your head. You see yourself, okay, I'm going to drive to the supermarket on the way home and I'm going to, uh, I'll buy the rice, you know. So that's the future. That's the, that's what you might call the possible future. You can see yourself or you can imagine yourself or you can think about stopping in the store and buying the rice on the way home. And then as you're leaving the office, somebody says to you, hey, Mel, uh, here's a package that's got to be delivered to so-and-so across town. Do you mind taking it? Because it's really important. So you say, sure. So you're driving over to this person's house and you think, geez, I'm not going to be able to go to that store now and get the rice because I'm going in the other direction. So where else can I get some rice? So immediately, because you know the city, you know a map of your city, you have a map of it in your in your head somewhere or in your imagination – so you say, okay, well, I, I'm not going to be able to go to store A now to get the rice because I have to deliver this package. So what I'll do is I'll go to store B, which is on the way to this other person's house. So you simply imagine not going to store A, but going to store B. Now, those are possible futures. They both exist, like Einstein said, they both exist now as possibilities. You can imagine going to store A, or you can imagine going to store B, and it's just a matter of you deciding and taking the action steps that you need to either go to A or go to B. So does that does that analogy give you uh, something to imagine what I'm talking about, about the possible futures? No, it does. It does. And I'm also thinking of people who, you know, for example, I've met many successful people in my life. And I've also met people with the potential of being more successful than many of the successful people that I know, but they don't believe they can accomplish it. Even That's though right. from, from, from our perspective, you know, I can tell them you have all the variables that are needed for success and they just don't believe that they can and they're stuck. How can they change that mindset? Well, learning how to build a belief is really key because, as you said, you know, if you believe you can't, I think it was um, Henry Ford who said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Because every belief, in a sense, is a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, but you can exercise your belief. And one of the things that, um, you know, one of the exercises that I teach people to do is to make a list of what I call past successes, so um, if you just take a sheet of paper, any of your listeners can do this, you know, just take a sheet of paper and write down three, four or five things that they consider a success in the past. <clears throat> it could be something simple like, you know, finishing high school or learning how to play basketball, <clears throat> excuse me, um, or learning how to ride a bicycle. You know, it doesn't have to be a big success. But the key is, it's something that you learned to do successfully. Now, when you remember that, when you put your imagination there or the, or the focus of your attention on that event, when you 
as I say, finished high school or learned how to ride a bicycle or something, what you'll notice is that one of the components of that thought is a feeling. And if you just simply tell yourself, I believe that I could be successful, you know, I know what success feels like, you will get that feeling of success back in your body. So success is a feeling. And you can teach yourself by doing that exercise like I just described, you can teach yourself how to feel that feeling of success. Now, if you have something that you want to do, which you might call a goal, and you combine the feeling of success to the idea or the image of the goal, then pretty soon your mind will put those two things together because one of the most fundamental principles in uh, neuroscience is the idea that neurons that fire together wire together. So if you take that feeling of belief that you've learned to feel in the past, build that belief by using your memories, and then take that belief, that feeling in your body, and attach it to the idea or the goal that you have for the future, those two things will wire themselves together, and you will start to believe that you can achieve that goal. I remember three experiences in my life that anybody can put this into, into action. For example, when I was young, I didn't know how to swim. And no matter how many teachers I, got, I had, it was very difficult until one told me, get on the diving board and get on the highest one of all. Like, really? That's too high. Just get on the highest one. And look at the end of the Olympic pool. And you're going to imagine yourself swimming all the way there. Don't look at the deep bottom. I didn't look at the deep bottom. I jumped and I swam all the way to the end. And that's how I learned how to swim. The second thing happened to me, I was afraid of speaking in public. And my goodness, and so many people are so afraid. You know, they become anxious. They sweat. After you do it the first time, you can have a million people in front of me. I don't care. And the third one, flying a plane. I just extended having my instructor with me, not, not ready for the solo yet, until he pushed me. That's it. You go out on your own. And after you do that first solo flight, boom, that happens. And then you apply those things to, to other things in business, in relationships, you know, people who are afraid to, to, to meet people because they think they're going to be rejected. But once you go, rejection doesn't hurt that bad or failure. That's exactly right. So what you're talking about is exactly the same thing that I was just talking about, which is imagining yourself doing something and feeling good about it. So like you said, when people are afraid of rejection, <clears throat> what are they imagining? You know, they have a picture perhaps of themselves being rejected, somebody <laughs> saying no, and that triggers this feeling that we call fear. Well, who knows what it is? It's just a feeling in your body, right? It's all fear, right? It's just a it, it's just a bad feeling. So if you can learn to feel good about applying for a job, then you'll go down and you'll apply. And if you imagine a person saying no, while you're feeling good, you realize, hey, if he says no, that's okay. I'll just go next door and try and try it again. Exactly. You know? So you can take that negative feeling, you can take that sting away from that imagined event. And that gives you the courage or the belief or the positive attitude, perhaps, to take that next step. And if you keep on taking steps, you get closer and closer and closer to where you want to be. And also, people who are applying for a job, for example, if they have that fear, fear is nothing but uh, false evidence up here and real, right? So let's say you apply for a job, right? So you apply for a job and you're already thinking, ah, I'm not going to be... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get hired. No matter how good of an interview I give, I'm not gonna get hired. Well, guess what, folks? It happens. You probably won't get hired. But if that night before you start imagining, I already got hired. It's a great job. I love the people. I love what I do. You feel it, just like what I said about the Native Americans doing the rain dance. You already have the job. You already seen your paychecks coming in. Now that's seeing okay. the future. How can the future be a source of power? That's exactly right. <clears throat> well, the feeling is a source of power because you can use that picture of yourself um, talking to that person in the job interview, for example, and you can see yourself and you can imagine yourself feeling confident, answering questions, being well-groomed to get a new haircut. You got your new suit on, you know, and so that if you ask yourself, like, 
how can I make this a positive experience for me to do this to do this job interview? Your mind will will give you ideas. It'll say things like make sure you get your hair cut, you know, shine your shoes, wear your new clothes. It fills the blanks. Be at the meeting on time, you know, answer the questions, have your resume ready, you know. So if you do those things, you increase your chances of getting the result that you want. So that 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 image, that goal, that that possibility in the future that you want to achieve will, in a sense, tell you how to get there if you just ask, how do I get there? How do I do this? Again, do you think that since most people don't think a future has happened yet because they're in the present, they don't tap into this source, whatever it is. Is it because they just don't believe that this is possible? Well, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, most people don't have these concepts that we're talking about. You know, most people think of think of time not as a field or as a, a city with a whole bunch of different stores in it that they can choose one to go and buy rice at. You know, they think of of the future, like a kind of like a train track, and they're on the train, and the train is going in one direction, Linear. and it's either, it's either going to hit this village or it's not. You know, well, the the future is not one track. There's an infinite number of tracks. So rather than thinking of themselves on a train heading in one direction, if they think of themselves in a helicopter, about a thousand feet in the air. They can go to any place on the on the landscape and they can land anywhere. So there's as many possibilities in the future as there are places to land in a helicopter. <clears throat> and so it depends on a lot of what we're talking about depends on people having the models or having the concepts that they can understand things with, you know. So, for example, if... Um, One of the things I like to do is I like to watch golf. I play golf. I'm not a great golfer, but I enjoy watching it. And if you think about somebody playing golf or really any sport, but, you know, golf is a good example. A person may start off as a teenager and decide that they want to be a professional golfer, you know. So they take lessons. They practice. They might go to college and and make the golf team or maybe not. But they keep on trying, keep trying, keep trying. And... If they get into the um, PGA golf tour, you know, they can make a good living as a golfer. Now, their goal might be to win the U.S. Open or win the British Open, win the Masters, you know. They may never do it. As a matter of fact, it's, it's very normal for a professional golfer to win fewer than about 10 tournaments in their entire career, you know. Some people, of course, win lots. Tiger Woods, you know, Phil, Phil Mickelson, people like that. They win 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 tournaments. But the average PGA professional wins, you know, six or eight tournaments in their entire career. So <clears throat> what I'm saying is they may never achieve the goal of winning the Masters. But they can be a professional golfer. They can live a good life. They can build a great family situation. And they can raise a wonderful family with the money that they've made playing golf, even though they never win the Masters. So you have to be careful. People have to be careful about the goals that they set, you know. Well, that's because, right. That's because they have to be realistic. When you when you set your expectations too high, it becomes impossible. That's right. And there's more and more possibilities. I mean, in any tournament, there might be 150 golfers, you know. So your chances of winning... Are, are only one in 150. So you may never win, you know, but you're still going to earn a good living doing it because you're in the place that you want to be in. And it's the same thing with you and me doing something mundane as buying some rice on the way home, you know. Let's say you decide to go to store B because you're over in that part of town delivering that package. So you drive along the road, you go to store B, you get there, they have no rice. So you all you do is you say, okay, well, now what do I do? Are there any other stores around? And you might ask the person in the store, is there another store in the neighborhood that I can get some rice in? And the person might say, yeah, take this road down a couple of miles, turn left, and there's a store there. So you go to that store, you buy the rice. So the goal is to arrive home with the rice. It's not necessarily to get the rice in store A or store B or store C. So people have to realize that when you set a goal, you have to be In a sense, you have to be flexible with how the goal is is achieved 
keep to the plan, keep to your purpose, keep to your goal, but be flexible as to how you arrive at the destination. I can see the future part because I've experienced that part. But you say that you can also change the past. Now, how can this be possible? Isn't the past fixed once and for all? Well, the past, if you think about it, the past is only an idea. You know, the past doesn't exist anymore. So really, all the past is, is your thoughts, your memories, your attitudes, your beliefs, your internal images of what took place, you know. And we've, we've all had the experience of like going to, let's say we, we go to a dinner party, you know, or, or, or we go to a, a party at somebody's house. And, uh, you know, the party goes for two or three hours and there's 20 or 30 people there and we leave, you know, and somebody says, oh, did you talk to so-and-so, you know, uh, they're at the party and you say, gee, I know I didn't see that person, you know, you're not sure if the person was there or not. So even though we have an experience and this is true for all of us every day, we only remember selective little pieces of our experiences. So when I talk about changing the past, what I'm really talking about is how are you framing it? How are you thinking of the past? You know, if you think of the past and you ask yourself, you know, what was something positive? For example, let's say you had a negative experience. Let's say you lose your job. You know, somebody gets laid off or fired. Well, they can think, you know, that's a negative experience. Um, they can get caught up in depression or sadness, and that's quite normal. But if they ask themselves, what was positive about this experience of losing my job, you know? And if they ask themselves that question, their mind will start to talk to them, and it'll say, well, you know, okay, you lost the job. That was, that was not great, but now at least you've got some valuable experience. You're in better shape now to go and apply for some other job. You made some connections in that job. Talk to those people. Can they give you any ideas? You know, so if you ask yourself what was positive about that experience in the past, pretty soon you'll start to find positives in it. And as your attitude of that past event shifts from negative to neutral or maybe even positive, you realize, hey, you know, it, it actually wasn't all that bad. I'm actually in a better, better position now without that job than I was before. So that's what I, you know, that's what I mean about changing the past. It's not so much pretending that something that happened didn't happen, but it's how are you thinking about it? What is your attitude about it? What is your belief about it? And all of those things, attitudes, beliefs, thoughts, they're very, very flexible. They can change. I'm sure 99.9% of the people who are listening to us have had this experience, you know, especially with what we were saying here regarding our past. You know, initially, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction when something bad happens, somebody gets rejected by, by a, you know, a significant other or, or a job that doesn't pan out or a, a goal that's not pan out or you're not accepted by the baseball team or whatever. But then things change. How many people have gone out with a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and they break up and you feel so sad, so bad about it, but years later you meet somebody who you feel it's better and you realize, wait a minute, I dodged the bullet here. So that's saying that the, the teacher appears once the student is ready. Also, the master disappears when the lesson has been learned. All we need to do is look back in time and realize that those quote-unquote bad experiences were lessons to help us achieve our full potential. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so even a bad experience can become a positive learning, you know, a positive lesson. And if you learn the lesson from it, then it, it just becomes a, a stepping stone and not a stumbling block. Precisely. Now, doesn't the past have more, quote unquote, reality than the future? You know, it's happened. The future hasn't. How, what do you say about that? Well, in a sense, it does. I mean, because obviously we have we have a lot more detail and a lot more memories of the past. Our memories of the past are much more vivid normally than our um, thoughts about the future, just because we have something concrete to remember, you know. And if we have a few scars and scrapes on us, like I do, and probably like you do too, <laughs> yeah. you know, we we have evidence that this past actually happened. So, you know, we are we're moving through time. 
from the past into the present, into the future. But really, the only thing that's physical is this is this present moment right now. And whether our present moment is a positive one or a negative one, it really depends on how we think about it. So in my in my book, Mind, Time and Power, I not only talk about, you know, this new model of time as a landscape of infinite possibilities, but I talk about using your mind as a time machine to sample those various areas in the future and also various areas areas in the past so that even the negative experiences can become positive learning ones for us. And when you take the sting out of those quote-unquote negative past experiences, we have more energy and more confidence and more ability to step into the future with more confidence. Going back to bad things that have happened, I remember back in 1982, I, I got into an accident. I was run over with my, my bike. I got run over by a car, and I'm surprised that I'm still I was, you know, made it out alive, but I remember wearing my calves in my hands and in my arms thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to lose my arms? And later, once the calves were off, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to play guitar because I can use my, my hands. And I started playing the guitar and the drums and, and I'm going to start typing. I'm going to be the fast, fastest typist ever. Well, that's what got me my first job. If it hadn't been for that job, I wouldn't be going around the world to where I am today. So bad things that sometimes even cost your life almost can change your life forever for the better. Well, that's right. I, I mean, it was Shakespeare, I think, <clears throat> that said, you know, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so this is where this idea of attitude comes in. And an attitude, now as a pilot, you're, you're um, aware of the, of the meaning of the word attitude, right? Of course. It's basically, it's basically the position of your plane in the air. Is it nose up or nose down, you know? So that's the attitude. So in, in um, psychological terms, our attitude is our point of view, you know? Do we, do we have the big picture or are we focused on one narrow moment in time, right? Have we got a thousand foot view where we can see lots of possibilities or are we stuck in this small little negative space that we've put ourselves in? So really the ability to use our imagination and get the big picture, you know, reduce that mountain down to the molehill. And as we as we reduce that that big challenge down to something manageable and small, it feels easier and it becomes easier for us, too. Is this something that everyone listening to us can apply to their lives right now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a matter of getting a little bit of instruction, getting a little bit of practice. You know, um, everybody can remember the color of their car. Everybody can remember the color of their favorite dress, for example, or favorite shirt. So everybody has these five inner senses that I talk about. You know, we talk about having five senses and ESP being a sixth sense. But actually, I say we have 10 senses because we have five outer senses. You know, I can see, hear, touch, taste, feel uh, in the physical world. But I can do the same thing in the inner world, you know, in, in the world of the imagination. So I can imagine what a rose smells like. I can imagine what my lover's voice sounds like. I can... I can imagine the feeling of holding an ice cube in my hand, or I can I can feel the pride when somebody says to me, hey, you did a good job, you know. I get that feeling of pride. Well, that comes from the inner world. It doesn't come from the outer world, because in the outer world, there's nobody giving me positive vibes now. But if I remember getting some positive strokes from somebody, I feel that feeling of pride, and as I said a few moments ago, if you simply remember that and make a habit of remembering it, doing what you might call meditation and just thinking of it over and over again, that feeling of pride will grow and that will improve and increase your self-esteem. It's so interesting what you're saying because I'm thinking of so many scientifically proven examples of this. Some people may think, oh, this is just all mumbo jumbo, new age. But listen, folks, I remember a few months ago, somebody told me of this Example, which I read in a scientific journal of a man at a restaurant who got locked, locked in, log, uh, logged out inside of the freezer. 
But the problem was that the freezer was really not working. And it was probably about 68 to 70 degrees inside. And in the morning when they opened it, he was still alive, but he was he had freeze burns everywhere, even though the temperature would not allow it to happen. But he thought that the freezer was working. So with his mind, he thought, I'm going to freeze to death. And he almost did. Right, right. Well, there's there's stories of people who've been hypnotized, too. And a similar thing has happened, you know, where they've been hypnotized into believing that somebody's touching their their arm, let's say, with a cigarette butt. Right. And uh, they will get a blister on their arm because uh, they think they're being burned, when in actual fact, it was just a person's finger touching them. So the question so, is, is it the brain creating the burn or the cigarette making the burn? Well, it must be the brain because there was no cigarette. It was just a right, person's finger. in this case. So the, so, so the power of belief, I mean, the power of belief is huge. Now, we know in medicine, uh, anytime they're testing a new drug, they have to test it against a placebo, right? And you're probably aware that basically placebos, in every, in, in every different instance, they work about 30% of the time. Yep, they have an effect. So... So they have incredible effects, you know, and lots of drugs don't work much better than a placebo. So if a, if a drug has, let's say, a 33% effectiveness, it's a great drug. You know, it's, it's, it's better than a placebo. But the placebo itself is 30%, and that's just a factor of belief. So if you can build your belief, build your confidence, work on the inner world, as I call it, you know, using your imagination, remembering those past successes, developing those inner connections, feeling confident, feeling happy, feeling successful, um, that has a huge effect on how we can function in the, in the physical world today and in the future. That's why I tell people who have young children, what you tell them is what they'll become because they hear you. They internalize what you're telling them. So watch your words very, very carefully about what you tell them. And I know many of these children who are born in, in homes who are fractured or what have you, they can escape that, but a lot of yes. times they don't. So watch what you tell kids because those are the moments you're shaping their future. What you tell them is what they'll become. And it's funny, you know, that individual people can take different different approaches to the same thing. You know, you talk to one person who's a who's a successful person and they'll say, you know, my my parents always encouraged me and told me I could do anything and I believed it. You talk to the next person and they say, my parents always criticized me and told me I was never going to amount to anything and I decided to prove them wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so so they can even use negative input as a positive motivator. It, it all depends on our our attitude and our belief. I had parents who encouraged me, but I also had people around me, even at my own school, who told me I was not good at this or good at that. And those were the things that motivate me to be who I am, including the pilot's license. And I had a, a guidance uh, counselor who told me when I was in high school, what, what a pilot? Are you kidding me? She started laughing and she said, choose something else because you'll never be a pilot. Well, that bothered me so much that eventually, about 10, 15 years later, I had to send her my, my license so that she could, she could learn, don't tell a child that they cannot be who they want to be. So yes, it works Good both ways, right? It works both ways. Good for you, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you know, the sad part about it is that, you know, it's hard to predict which, which person is going to take the negative result as a, as a positive motivator. I mean, because there's, you know, so much of life is, is accidental that it's difficult to predict. You know, like I said, you can be a successful golfer, but can you predict how many tournaments you're going to win? Well, probably you can't, you know. And so um, we have to learn to take the, take the hits, take the negatives, take the, take the uh, failures, if you want to call them that, as some kind of a stepping stone and just keep on trying, keep on moving. And if we do that, then those little... Uh, speed bumps that we run into in the road don't really do much more than give us a temporary setback. When we come back, and I want people to buy the book, but can you show us some practical examples of a, of these techniques that people can apply today? And of course, I, want, I hope that they uh, buy the book as well. How can people buy the book and all your other publications? Yes, thanks, Mel. No, how can they buy them? How can they buy the books? 
Okay, well, the book is called Mind, Time, and Power. So that's mind, time, A-N-D, power. So it's all one word, dot com. And if they go to mindtimeandpower.com, they can read about me. They can read about the book. They can order the book on Amazon or they can get the um, e-book, you know, the Kindle version. I also have uh, recordings and um, about 100 videos on YouTube that are all based on the book. And they can get to my YouTube site through that mindtimeandpower.com. Mind, Time, and Power, how to use the hidden power of your mind to heal your past, transform your present, and create your future. But Professor Anthony Hamilton, so much more when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can find great products like pure organic sulfur, rebounders, turmeric, and other great supplements. Thank you.